0: All right, so we are going to have a sermon today actually, you know, starting out of Luke chapter 7. And this was one of the chapters we read. If you read Foundations chapters this last week, we were in Luke 7. And so I was reading that, and I'm like, oh, that's a great story. And then there was other things that I was studying. I'm like, wow, these all fit together. So we're going to start in Luke chapter 7 if you want to follow along in your Bible or on your, on your phone. Um, and then there's black hardcover Bibles in the pews that you're sitting in. If you have one of those, you can turn there, Luke chapter 7. This week I had a fun a fun morning it was Friday morning it was the career fair for all the elementary school fifth graders. So at Far- Farmington Elementary just a couple blocks from here they had sent out a letter to all the parents or grandparents of fifth graders saying hey if you have a career that you want to come and sit at a table and talk to the students about what you do for a living we'd love to you know give our students a chance to get a different you know, variety of careers that are available to them. So I said, well, why not? <laughs> you know, what's the worst that could happen? So I said, well, sure. I, you know, I signed up, and I'm the pastor of Homestead Church. So I get there, and I'm starting to look for my name tag. They had little, you know, name plates for everybody. And mine was in the back. And so I went back there, and I found mine, Jeff Kerr, pastor of Homestead Church. It was it was pretty great. But then I noticed around me, in the back corner next to me was a guy who sells forklift equipment so that the kid I thought well good that'll be interesting for the kids but then on the other side was an HR rep and an accountant and we were all looking around each other like man we don't have a chance because what would happen in front of us There was the guy who owns, like, the sporting goods paraphernalia store in town, so all the Farmington Tigers gear. And then the fire department, and they bring, like, the jaws of life. And the, you know, they got coats and helmets for them to put the kids on and different hoses and stuff. And I'm like, I'm toast. And then next to them was a friend of mine who does video production, and he has a drone you know, one of those camera drones and the VR, head, the virtual reality headsets. So me and the accountant and the HR rep thought, we're going to have a pretty pretty slow morning. But it was great. A couple of things were great. Um, it was fun just meeting all the fifth graders. And we had a number of fifth graders from, from a couple of them are sitting right over there. And it was fun to see homestead fifth graders come up and be like, hey, that's our church. And they're telling their friends, hey, that's our church. And I had a little slideshow going on my laptop and they're like, hey, I know them. And that was fun to see, you know, it's it's fun to be a part of a church community that's in our community, that was great. But it was fun meeting all these fifth graders because they have their list of questions that they're supposed to come ask you. You know, what is the most challenging part of your job? Um, What is the most exciting part of my job? I was able to tell one kid, and you don't know this, um, because one kid came up and said, looked at the name, the nameplate, pastor. He's like, so what's your job? And I said, well, I'm the pastor of a church and we meet just a couple blocks from here. He's like, no, like, what do you do for work? Like, what's your real job? And I'm like, what? Well. <laughs> <laughs> and some of you are thinking, I wish, wish I would have been there to ask that same question. And so I told him, I told him, well, and I, and I said, you know, one of the things I do, and you don't know this, because there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that you don't know, but one thing I do every Sunday is I go pick up the donut holes from Farmington Bakery. <laughs> and because I'm a full-service pastor, what I do just in case and if Dottie's with me, she'll do it. And this morning we had a couple other kids in the church. I said, "I need your help because one of my jobs as the pastor is to test the donuts, to make sure nobody has poisoned them, right?" And so I so we I said, do you want to help me test the donuts?" And they're like, "Uh-huh." So I told this kid at the at the career fair, I, I test the donuts. That's one thing I do. That's one thing I do. And then one kid, you know, it's funny because all the kids are, you know, the drones and the fire equipment and the police officers and all that. So one of the questions they had to ask was, well, what sort of special equipment is required for your job? And I'm like, I don't know. I, the sword of the spirit, I guess, is all I got. That's all, that's all I got. Um, but it was great. So here's, here's why I mentioned this. It was fun to see our community, you know, kids in our church family be a part of our community. But what I was struck with was this. All the schools sent their fifth grade class to Farmington Elementary. So one at a time, the schools would come in and spend a half an hour in there. And I was struck by this. That's a lot of fifth graders. I was like, man, that's a lot of fifth graders. And that's just one grade. Like, we've got a lot of kids in our community. And what I thought was this, and this happens every time I'm at a hockey game, you know, at the Farmington Arena or a high school football game, and I see our community together. I'm like, that's a lot of people, and that's why we're here, is to reach these people. I was looking at these fifth graders thinking, man, that's, you know, some of these kids, you know, there's the quiet kids, the awkward kids, or the kids that, you know, or the sporty, you know, all these things. There's, And I'm looking, I'm like, some of these kids come from broken families, I'm sure. Some of these kids have some really, really difficult home lives. There's kids there with special needs. Um, and I was watching our community. I'm like, this is why we're here. This is why we're here as Homestead Church. And so, when we talk about it's time for us to grow in prayer, to grow in the word, to grow in our faith. If you were here last week, that was really the message that I preached last week. It's time for us to grow. We have to grow because we have a community that needs to be reached. It was fun. A lot of these kids, they said, oh, I go to church too. And you know, I go to this church and they could name their church and they say, we love our church. And I was like, that's great. That is awesome. That's the kingdom of God advancing in our community. Some kids, I say, I would say, you know, I'm a pastor of a church. Do you go to church? And you could tell the, the church guild kicked in. Oh, yeah, yeah, I go to church all the time. I'm like, oh, great, what's the name of your church? And they're like, um, uh, it's the one with the, the steeple. And I'm like, okay, that's great. So I recognize we have a community, and that's why we're here. When I say we want to we grow as a church, it's because God has stuff for us. God has a harvest that he wants us to be a part of. He has lives that he is waiting for his church to grow and to be active and to minister and to reach the community, right? That is why we're here. Anytime you talk about spiritual growth... You know, some people talk about spiritual growth. I want the deep things of the word. I want to learn Hebrew and Greek. All that's fine. But if your spiritual growth doesn't lead to you being a part of the Great Commission, well, then that's not what Jesus intended. We are here to grow so that we can bring light to our community. Amen? Somebody say amen to that? That is why we're here. And so that's why I was I was thinking about that meeting all those awesome fifth graders. I had a great morning. On Friday morning, but it was another reminder. We need to grow. This is the point of spiritual growth so that we can reach our community. So Luke chapter 7 is where we're starting today. Kind of one more, um, one more general message of here's, here's how we can grow this year. There's going to be one kind of central point, and really this idea is the main point of the sermon is this. How are we ordering our affections? The things that are important to us, what order are those in? The things that we prioritize, the things that we think about, what order we put things in makes all the difference for our family, for our career, for our finances, for our faith, for our marriages, all of these things. If we prioritize the things of God, and then somewhere down the list is the things of man, that is the proper order. But I'm going to start with three stories out of Scripture today. Three stories. First one is in Luke chapter 7. And the first one is about John the Baptist, kind of around this main theme that I just mentioned. John the Baptist, the rest of his story. You know the start of the John the Baptist story. We, we learn about John the Baptist right around the Christmas story. So as Jesus is being born, just before that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist had this call in his life to go and prepare the way for the Messiah. So he spent his whole life talking to people, baptizing people, preaching to people, saying, repent of your sins because the Messiah is coming. And people would come to John and they'd say, well, you must be the Messiah. And John had such a great kingdom mentality. He had the order of things correctly because he was quick to say to all of them, you know, that's not me. I'm not the big deal. I'm just preparing the way for the Messiah, and he's the big deal. So this happened. But eventually what happened was John was thrown in prison because John got in people's faces. He did not, stand, he did not mind standing up for truth. And at the time, you may know this or you may not know this, Israel was under Roman rule. So the Herods were the Roman rulers that were ruling over different parts of Judea and Galilee. And John got in the face of the wrong person because one of the Herods had taken his brother's wife for his own. And John got to him and said, you know what, that's not right. You need to repent of that. You need to turn from that. And he got thrown in prison. So he stood up for truth in front of the wrong person. And now John is in prison. And this is how John's story, we find out how John's story ends. He's offended people. He's now in prison. And this is happening all while the ministry of Jesus is gaining popularity. Jesus is going around. After John had spent his years of ministry pointing people to Jesus, now Jesus is preaching. Most of John's disciples are now following Jesus. Jesus is healing. He's he's drawing crowds. He's getting very, very well known and well noticed. And all of this is happening, and John is hearing about these things while he is sitting in prison. And John's beginning to have kind of that crisis of faith moment. John is thinking, as we all probably would in that prison cell, wait a minute, Jesus, I gave my life for you. You know, I spent all my years pointing people to you. I had the things in the right order, and now look what's happening to me. I'm in prison. I gave my life for you, and I'm in prison. I'm sure he's thinking, sure, you're healing all these people and delivering all these people and setting all these people free. What about me? I'm like your, your biggest fan, and here I am sitting in prison. And so this is where we pick up the verses, because what happens is John gathers some of his disciples who visit him in prison. And they, he tells them, "I need you to go to Jesus and send him this message, because I'm in prison and perhaps He has forgotten about me." So we're going to read in Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7 verse 18. John's disciples told him, John, about these things. So his disciples are telling John about all these good things that are happening. And calling two of them, he said to them to the Lord, He sent them to the Lord to ask, "Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else?" And when the men, who were John's disciples, came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect somebody else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. And this is Jesus' response. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf Here the dead are raised, and the good news is being proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. That's Jesus' response. John had gotten to the point where he was even questioning if Jesus was the Messiah. This one he had given his life for. He sends his followers to Jesus and says, Are you even the one? Are you even the Messiah? Or should we be preparing for someone else? Why did he doubt Why did John all of a sudden doubt after all those years of ministry? It's not like Jesus wasn't acting like the Son of God or the Messiah. Jesus was performing all these miracles. The reason John doubted was because he was in a prison cell. His view was very small. All he could see was the walls and the bars of this prison. And it's so easy to think about the things of God, this is a challenge for you and me, when life is going well. But the key for faith, the key to spiritual growth is to think of the things of God when things are difficult, to have faith in the things of God when things are difficult for us, when the result isn't good, when things don't go as we had planned, when we are mistreated. This is the key to faith. This is having our affections in the right order, the things of God, even when we are mistreated, even when things are not going well. Jesus reminds John of this in his reply, and I love Jesus' reply. I love that Jesus didn't reply this, you know, when, his, when John's disciples came and said, hey, John wants to know if you're really the son of God or if we should expect somebody else. I love that Jesus didn't reply, what? How could he doubt? You know, where is his faith? I love that he didn't take that moment to, you know, put John in his place. I love that he didn't say to John, you know, how could you doubt me? Um, quit your whining. <laughs> you know, I love that that wasn't the response. But I also love that his response wasn't, Wait a minute, John's in prison. I'm on the way. You know, like the superhero music and dun, da da da. Here comes Jesus busting through the prison wall. Nobody puts my guy in prison. That wasn't his response either. I love that his response to John the Baptist was reminding him the order of priorities or the order of our affections. Tell John what you see. The blind are being healed. The deaf are being healed. The lame are walking. The good news is going forward. The kingdom of God is moving forward. And that is the top priority. And John, you of all people, as we all do, we know that we serve the kingdom of God. And sometimes it doesn't go our way or we think it doesn't go our way. But we have the kingdom of God as our first priority. People are being saved. I I love that Jesus reminded John the Baptist, hey, the very thing that you gave your life for is happening, is moving forward. You prepared people for the good news of the gospel, and now the good news is going around. Disordered affection cares more about what's happening to me than the things of God. So that's the story of John the Baptist. Second story, Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah chapter 29. Now, in this part of the Old Testament, that's kind of right in the middle of the Old Testament, this is when the Old Testament nation of Israel is in exile. They have been captured by Babylon, and I've referred to this many times. They've been captured by Babylon, defeated. The city walls have been torn down. The temple has been destroyed. And so many of Israel or the, or the Jews in Jerusalem and Israel have been taken in exile as captives into Babylon. So this is what's happening. And while this is happening, Jeremiah is a prophet, and he is writing to the people that God is going to redeem this. He's writing to the people, I know it seems bad now. You have been taken captive into another nation. And the temple and the city walls and all that you held dear has been destroyed. But God is going to redeem this. There will be a time, and it might take a while. It will take a while, is what Jeremiah is saying as he prophesies. But you will return home. It's not going to be a short season But here's the priority, and this is what Jeremiah is telling the Israelites. While you are in this difficult situation, get your heart right. The reason why God allowed this to happen was because the nation of Israel had turned from God, and their idolatry and wickedness had gotten to the point where God had let them be taken over by Babylon. So Jeremiah is telling them, You're in this season of exile, it's not going to be short. And it's not going to be easy, but get your heart right, repent, and turn back to God, and God is going to redeem you. God is going to rescue you. God is going to turn this dark situation into something that is for his glory and for your good. And when I read that, if you read through Jeremiah chapter 29, you get to 2911, which is on the card of every graduation party you've ever been to, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. It's a very common verse. But there's so much other good stuff in that chapter. This is Jeremiah saying, you know what? God's going to redeem this. And what I get from that chapter is this. We can always trust. We can always trust that God's way is for our good. Always. Always. It doesn't seem like it sometimes, but we can always trust that God, as we have our affections in the right order, God will bring about good from everything. He is working for our good in every circumstance. So this is what's happening. But at the same time that all this is happening, there's these false prophets, and you read about them through these chapters in Jeremiah. There's these false prophets, one of whom was named Shemaiah. And a guy named Shemaiah, you know he's up to no good. Hopefully nobody here is named Shemaiah. One of whom was named Shemaiah. And what Shemaiah was doing is while Jeremiah was prophesying on behalf of God, Shemaiah was writing letters to the leaders of Israel, to all the exiles. And he was saying, don't listen to Jeremiah. Don't listen to Jeremiah, listen to me instead. This is going to be easy, this is going to be quick. God's going to come rescue you quick, so just don't even worry about it. And, he's, and it says earlier in the, in the verses that Shemaiah was sending out these letters in his own name. So essentially what he's doing is, I'm telling the Israelites what they want to hear, and I'm putting my name out there. He's not worried about the things of God. He's not worried about the Israelites turning back to God. He's trying to make a name for himself. And this is what's happening. And all this is going on at the same time. And God responds to Shemaiah by name in verse 30. It's good. I love that there's there's stories in the Bible, the heroes of faith that do good things, these amazing miracles, and that's why they're named in Scripture. And then there's the unfortunate people (laughs) that are named in Scripture because God had finally had enough. And this is what happens in verse 30 of Jeremiah 29. It says this. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send this message to all the exiles, this is what the Lord says about Shemaiah. Okay, I love that. You just know that people are like, oh, snap, here it comes. This is what the Lord says about Shemaiah, the Nehalite, the Nehalamite. Because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, even though I did not send him, and has persuaded you to trust in lies, this is what the Lord says. I will surely punish Shemaiah the Nehalamite and his descendants, and he will have no one left among this people. And then get this line, nor will he see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against me. I'm going to read that last verse again. He will have no one left among this people, and get these two things. He will not see the good things I will do for my people, declares the Lord. And then the second one is because he has preached rebellion against me. Those two things stood out to me as I read that this week. The first one is this, that God doesn't look kindly on this sort of thing. That Shemaiah is out there trying to make a name for himself. He's not out there, he's trying to garner favor and support for himself. He's not worried about the things of God. And God does not look lightly on this. God calls this, he doesn't say, well, Shemaiah, he's just having a bad day. What does God refer to it as? Rebellion. He has preached rebellion. God does not look kindly on people who try to get their names as the focus, especially those who use the things of God to make a name for themselves. That is a sobering reminder to me as the pastor of a church. I want people to be drawn to Homestead Church, but it is not about getting our name out there, right? It is about the name of our Lord getting out there. We don't want it. We're not here to make names for ourselves. But the second thing that jumped out to me, the first was that God says it's rebellion, and the second one was this. He said that phrase that should, you know, grip our hearts. He's, because he's doing this, he's not going to see the good things that I'm about to do. He's not going to see all the good that I was going to bring about because of this. He's going to miss out on that. God is at work, and he is writing his story of redemption. He is working in the hearts. And just like Shemaiah, we're going to miss it if we can't see past the immediate, if we can't see past what we want, if we can't get our priorities right. If we can't prioritize the things of God over the things of man, we are going to miss the good that God has for us. Even in the dark season when all we are tempted to do is think about what we want and what's going to suit us, we're going to miss the redemption that God's going to bring about it if that's all we're focused on. But if we prioritize our affections, if we order our affections to the things of God, we're going to see the good that God is going to bring about. Some of you are in a dark season right now. Don't give up on the things of God. The temptation is to be like, well, i got to look out for myself because clearly God has forgotten about me. Put your affections on the things of God, and you will see God bring about the redemption that he is working towards in your situation. Amen? There's great temptation to focus on us, to promote our name. In this social media world, man, it is all about putting our name out there. Even in our church world, there's great temptation to get our name out there. We have to be reminded not to have hearts of rebellion, but to prioritize the things of God. And I'm going to close with this third story, Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. What's happening here is... This is in the midst of Jesus' ministry. And what's happening is there's times when Jesus is preaching to the multitudes. He's preaching to the crowds. He's performing miracles. And then there's times where he's just snuck away with his 12 disciples because he knows he wants to pour into them. He wants to train them so that they can continue on this message after Jesus is gone. So that's what's happening in Matthew chapter 16. And right before the verses, I'm going to read. This great moment happens with the disciples where Jesus with his 12 disciples says, who do people say that I am? Kind of like a pop quiz, right? Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples are like, well, some people are saying you're a prophet. Some people are saying they even mentioned John the Baptist. Some people say you're John the Baptist or even the prophet Elijah come back from the dead. And Jesus says, well, who do you, you disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter was the first to, to chime in. I love that Peter was always, it seemed like he was always the first one to go, which meant he did some awesome, great things, and he also got himself in trouble sometimes, right? Like, Peter's like, I'm going for it. Peter's the first to speak up, and he says, I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus, this great moment, it had to be like a... Uh, you know the highest of heights moment for Peter which Jesus says Peter that is right and that has been revealed to you by the spirit of god and on that faith i'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it then he goes on to say i'm going you're going to get the keys to the kingdom and because of that great faith it's like this super awesome moment of faith for Peter and the disciples this is what's happening And the very next verse is what we're going to read, okay? So the very next verse after this, and I point that out to say this happens quick. This happens quickly in our hearts. The very next verse is verse 21 of Matthew 16. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Peter, who just had the great faith moment, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Another translation I read this week is what we're talking about today. You do not have the things of God, in mind, but you have in mind the things of man. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter. Talk about a downer, right? What what could have been like hours after that huge faith moment, like Jesus says, I'm the smartest one in the world because I knew this and I'm going to be the one that he builds his church on. And, and then for whatever reason, and I know the reason, I, I have a feeling I know the reason, he decides that he's going to pull Jesus aside when he hears something that he doesn't want to hear. And he, what's the word he says? He rebukes Jesus, which is crazy to me. Like, you just said, you're God. You're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. But what happened one verse later is, well, i got to pull Jesus aside, and i got to straighten him out here, right? Because clearly, he's, if he's God, he hasn't you know, got this part figured out. And I am struck by that. I'm struck by Jesus' response because Peter wasn't promoting himself. I'm sure Peter had good intentions. He loved Jesus, and all he was doing was pulling Jesus aside, what he thought was maybe a sign of support. That's never going to happen to you, Jesus. Don't talk like that. You're not going to be killed and crucified. You're the Son of God. That won't happen to you. And Jesus reacts as he does because he recognizes what's really going on in Peter and what really goes on in our hearts as disciples and followers of Jesus, and what really goes on, which is the biggest stumbling block to faith, and that's this. As subtle as it may seem, it's the ability to think that we know better than God. It's the ability to think that we know better than God. We all do it, right? We all do it. How many times does that creep in? God, I know what your word says, but that can't be right. That doesn't apply to me. That doesn't fit my, you know, that doesn't fit my desires. That doesn't fit what I want to do. God, I know you're asking this of me, but I know better what my life needs than what you do, God. I know better than you, God. I know you say that your plans for me are good, but I'm going to follow my heart on this one because I know better than you, God. We've been there. I know you're calling me to lay down my life for this person, but they are really bugging me, so I'm going to kind of take this one on my own. I know better than you, God. That is why Jesus' response was so strong. Get behind me, Satan, because at the root of every time the devil's going to try to tempt us, it's going to be at that. You know better than God, and that's going to lead us in a way that derails our faith. I know better than you, God. And it happens to all of us. And it can happen just as quick as it happened to Peter where two verses later he goes from the high mountain to the depths of despair and Jesus is calling him Satan. Like, wow, that happened fast, right? It could be we could have a great moment in church where we're like, yeah, I love Jesus and my family and everything's awesome. And before you get to your car, all of a sudden you've like reprioritized. We're like, now I'm take, I got this, Jesus. I'm taking over from here. I'm going to run my life. I know better than you. And we'll see you next Sunday, you know, or in a few Sundays, you know, that sort of thing. So often it's, God, I know better than you. I know what's going to make me happy. I know what's going to feel right. And so I know better than you. No wonder Jesus responded so strongly. This is the root of rebellion. This is the root of reprioritizing things where we put the things of man as the top priority in our life. And this is how the enemy is going to tempt you and drag you away. This is self. This is self-promotion over the things of God. And it happened to Peter, and it's so subtle And it happens to us all the time. So in the days ahead, in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, what are you going to do when you are faced with that moment? When the things of God are in conflict with the things of man, where what you know God is calling and declaring and speaking is in conflict with what you want or what suits you, or what helps you be happy, or what fills you with satisfaction? What are you going to do when the things of God are in conflict with the things of man? When God's best, when God's plan, when God's word, when God's direction doesn't agree with what you want? When the temptation is there to say, God, I think I know better than you on this one. Those moments define everything in your life, in your faith, not just in your faith, not just in your church part of your life. Every area of your life, that decision right there greatly impacts, right? You don't think that truth and that principle could apply to your marriage? Times when Christy and I are having conflict, you don't think that in my heart there's that conflict going on where I know what the things of God are to love my spouse, to lay my life down for her, to prefer her, to serve her. And what's the things of man in that moment? She is driving me crazy and there's no way I'm giving in this time because I'm always the one who gives in and God, I know better than you on this and you know is it just me? You know, those things creep in. You think the you think the things of God being first place would not have a drastic impact on your marriage? On your family, how you parent your kids, on your career, how you spend your time, how you spend your money, how you view opportunities to reach out to people, to meet needs in our community. When it comes time to say, am I going to take 15 minutes of my day and read a chapter of the New Testament so that I can grow in God's word? Ah, but there's Facebook and there's Sports Center and there's coffee and sitting on the couch and, you know, all these things. When the things of God and the things of man are in conflict, what are you going to decide? This is the discipline of faith. Right? This is the discipline of faith. This is how we walk it out. Sunday mornings hopefully feel great and we're with people we love and we sing and we hear a sermon and our kids love going to church. This is how we walk out our faith every day is putting the things of God first. Saying, God, I will declare that you are Lord of my life and I order my affections accordingly. I order my affections because so that you are first. Jesus teaches this in Luke 9, which is another one that if you read Foundations this week, you would have read this chapter. Luke nine twenty three. If anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Is that word up there? Okay. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. What's that word next? Daily. Take up their cross daily and follow me. Luke 9.23. If you want to be my disciple, you do this every day. So what I'm saying, that decision of, well, when the things of God come into the conflict with the things of man, what am I going to do? That's not going to be like one of those things like one time this year, that's going to happen and I better make sure I choose correctly. That's going to happen today. That's going to happen tomorrow. That is a daily thing. Take up your cross daily and follow me. This is carrying our cross. This is dying to self because we believe that God's plan is best For us, what we've seen in these scriptures, Jesus is saying, the prophet is is speaking on behalf of God. God's going to redeem this. God's going to move through this. Even if you find yourself in prison, even if you end up giving your life for your faith, your eternal reward is great. All of these things are going to be redeemed. We recognize that God's plan for us is best. So this year, as we grow as a church, and I don't just mean in number, you know, this is going to be a big year. I believe that God's going to use us to impact our community. This building we're buying and renovating, and I'm excited. This is going to be a banner year for our church just as far as having a tool of ministry that we can use to impact our community so that some of those families or those fifth graders that I met on Friday, that they can be saved and come to church and we can, they can be a part of this life-giving community. All of these things, I'm excited for the growth that's going to happen in our church. I'm excited for the growth that's going to happen in our hearts and in our faith. But as that happens, this idea is foundational. Like God spoke to Shemaiah in the Old Testament I've got good that I'm going to bring about. I've got good, and I want you to experience it. There's going to be good that comes through that building and through the impact of our youth ministry and kids' ministry. There's going to be good that comes when we can meet our community's needs and reach those who are hurting and lost and addicted and broken. There's going to be so much good that God wants to do, but it will come when our hearts are not in rebellion to God, when our hearts have prioritized the affections for the things of God first. That is when God says, I can use that. Now you'll be able to see the good. Don't you want to be a part of the good that God wants to do in your life and in our community? You're going to see the good when your heart has its affections ordered appropriately to the things of God. This is how we're going to see all these blessings come. This is how we're going to see God transform our families and our faith and our hearts. This is how we're going to see God break the chains of anxiety and depression and addiction in our life and in our community. When we grow in our priority for the things of God, when we grow, God's going to use us to meet the needs of our community. So as we close today, I'm just going to ask you this. Where are your affections? What order are they in? And here's the deal. Some of you are thinking, and there's times where I'm the same way, where I'm like, man, I have been focused on the things of man and what suits me. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Well, we just do like God instructed the Israelites, like God instructed John the Baptist and Peter. Get your heart right. Get your heart right. And that's just a moment of just repenting. It could be right here. So as we close, we're going to do this. Let's just bow our heads and pray. And that's really all we do is we just take a moment and we acknowledge to God. God, my heart has not been right. I've been playing the game of faith. I've been showing up to church, but in my heart I take first place. The things of man have taken first place. And so Lord, this is just a moment of repentance for us as your church, as your people. We don't want to be like John the Baptist that only sees our immediate surroundings and forgets about the kingdom of God moving forward. So if that's us, Lord, we repent today. And we say, Lord, get our eyes off of our surroundings and fix our eyes on you. We don't want to be like Shemaiah in the Old Testament that was only concerned about getting his name out there, what promotes him, telling people what they wanted to hear so that they would be loyal to him, so that he could be elevated. We don't want to be that. And Lord, we repent of our rebellion the things of God and we don't want to be like Peter who so quickly turns from statements of faith to an acknowledgement that he thinks he knows better than God we don't want to be that we don't want to be the one that says I know better than you God I know better than you the things that you say I know better I know better what's going to make me happy what's going to be good for my family for my kids Lord we put you first so we repent of these things We order our affections to the things of God. And Lord, in great faith and anticipation, we look forward to the good that you are going to bring, to the good things that you're going to do. You are going to redeem the circumstances we are in. You are going to transform this community, the lost families, the broken families. You're going to transform it because our affections were in the right order. Because we grew in faith, you're going to use that to make an impact in our community. We thank you that we get to be a part of it. So, Lord, this week, as we read your word, I pray that you would just continue to do that work, that we would get to the point where daily we take up our cross, we put you first, and we follow you in every area of our life. We ask that you would do that work. Thank you for what you're doing in this church and in us individually, in our families. I just pray for the families here, for kids that are having a hard time in school, for marriages that are having a hard time, for careers that are having a hard time. I pray your blessing over the families of this church this week, that we would walk in victory that you have provided for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.